Welcome to another episode. We got Brandon back in the building, repping the Justin Fields jersey. Uh, you want to just well, we're gonna get into the NBA, obviously, but you want to just give the people your your Justin Fields thoughts really quick. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, um, I, I think this might be one of those guys, man, just a special guy in the league. But it's rare that you see an entire you know fan base and greater league you know audience kind of shift their sentiment within such a you know short time frame. Like I think you know week three, week four, you know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about him like he's a bust, right? A lot of people are trying to put that label on him. Like I have, you know, some of my coworkers that come up to me and say like, dude, just, just cut your losses early. And now fast forward to, you know, where we are today. And you look on Twitter, you look online, people are saying he might have the highest ceiling for a QB in the NFL. Might be the best rushing QB ever. Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson, then you got Justin Fields. So I think that says enough. You know, I'm, I'm at an all-time high as far as excitement for the team. Like, we haven't had a dynamic quarterback that can truly, you know, generate, you know, the entire – you can run the entire offense through him, right, and, and feel good about it. Like, and that sounds weird, but as a Bears fan, you know that historically, like, half of our offense comes from our defense, you know. But we never had, like, an offensive engine where it's just 30 points guaranteed, you know. So it's, like, an exciting thing to watch, but – on the other end, you know, now we're seeing what a bad defense looks like, which is new. So um, still good. It's it's watchable. It's entertainment, like you said, which, you know, Bears football hasn't been, you know, the past few years. So uh, I'm excited, man. At least there's hope. That's yeah, that's <laughs> that's the moral of the story. Um, OK, and I have them in fantasy, so I don't even I don't even have to add anything to that. You already know how how I feel. I can't wait to get my jersey uh, once he leads me to the playoffs, probably get the orange one, I'm thinking. But that, that's subject to change. Um, <laughs> but all right, let's do. Um, let's start with. Let's start with the Sixers because so we're recording this on Monday, uh, November fourteenth. So last night, uh, Embiid put up probably the cra- oh yeah has to be so far this season at least the craziest stat line of the year. So let me just pull up the actual numbers. So fifty nine points, eleven boards, eight assists, seven blocks. Uh, crazy. I think honestly the craziest number twenty out of twenty four from the free throw line. And the 76ers beat the greatest team of all time, the the Jazz. So just we just start there. What like what are your takeaways from that game? Like I feel like we haven't really seen Embiid had been out for a few games leading up to this. So what do you think that when you you know either watched that game or just saw that saw that stat line pop up? Yeah, I mean, um I had you know had my eyes on the Sixers earlier this season. I think we all kind of have been seeing the struggles, you know, been going through. There's a lot of controversy early in the season. It's like, you know, B doesn't look like he's playing, you know, at his hardest. Um, you, you you know, he's dealing with what I think is plantar fasciitis. It was later on revealed. So then I was like, oh, okay. Like that checks off like why he's not trying to play like he's the MVP of the season uh, of the league. Um, so there's that entire thing going on. And you have Harden, you know, his usage is at, you know, such a high clip when you have arguably the best player on your team. Now it's fascinating, you know, when you see some of these teams drop a star and the ball spreads more or you know the focal point is more clear on offense between you know maxi and Embiid, you kind of start to see these results right where drops 42 the previous game you know it comes up with 59 the following year that's 101 points over you know it was a 24-hour span technically um that he did that um so i think that just goes to show you know where a problem you know could lie on this team you know there's only one basketball you have a budding star and you know, uh, Maxi. you obviously have a potential MVP candidate and Joel Embiid, and then you add such a high usage player like Harden, 
And you really start to scratch your head, not to mention Tobias Harris and some of the other people on this team as well. So um, I think if anything, Harden being out for this month period of time can reestablish that this is Embiid's team. You got to play through him, you know, whether that's him perimeter in or him like inside out. Um, I think you you can see now the proof is in the pudding that this is his team. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see once once Harden does come back. And I think it's he's out for a while, I I believe. Um, but so just in so so Harden last game he played was November second, and like I mentioned, Embiid has missed some games since then. But in the four games that Embiid's played since Harden got injured, he's averaging forty points, eleven boards, five assists, and three blocks per game. And the the Sixers are three and one, and those wins are against the Hawks, Suns, and Jazz. So, you know, as of right now, three of three teams with like you know some of the best records in the league. And yeah, so we'll see like how's Harden, you know, how's Harden feeling about that. I feel like you get the sense too. Tell me if you feel differently, but you kind of get the sense that Embiid, when he's not like the focal point on offense, when he's not getting to touch, you know, touch the ball on every possession, he kind of checks out a little bit. Almost like it kind of. Reminds me of like Shaq, right? Like on the Lakers, which is prime Shaq where he's like, and he is that good that he probably should touch the ball in every possession, but you kind of get the sense that he's like, he, he plays harder on defense when he's getting the ball on offense and kind of goes like that. So it'll be weird to see once, once Harden's back. Um, But so what do you think like bigger picture than for the Sixers? Are you taking them seriously as far as contenders? Cause I feel like they came into the season as like, you know, maybe third or fourth best betting odds, but where do you stand on them? Uh, you know, based off what you've seen so far. Yeah, <clears throat> um, man, I I don't think they're going to do anything with with Harden um, on that team. I don't think they will, unless Harden just completely somehow takes a backseat. And I don't even know what it looks like for Harden to take a backseat, to be honest with you, because his version of backseat is, oh, I'm just going to rack up like 13 assists which means I'm going to have the ball in my hands most of the game anyway. So, you know, I I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a few advanced uh, statistics. I'm looking at some lineups here where Harden doesn't play. And you can look look at the net rating on some of these, and, and it stands out, right? I see one lineup here where it's like P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Thibel, and Maxi over, uh, you know, four games played, granted small, small sample size. They have a net rating of almost 35 which means they're, you know, outscoring their opponents by 35 points on that pace. You look at their usual lineup with Tucker, Harden, Harris, Embiid, and Maxi. it's a net rating of five. So there's still, you know, a positive, sure, but it's a stark difference, you know, just that sub there. And I don't want to, you know, stir up too much here on this, you know, Harden slander, but I just don't think the fit makes sense given that, you know, you play through Embiid. It's just hard to have Harden and play through Embiid. Um, and I think you see something similar with the Nets, not to go off subject here, but you take Kyrie out of the game and play through KD, and the floor just opens up so much more. I feel like playing through um, Embiid opens the floor up, gives Maxi a lot of easier shots because, you know, you got to collapse on Embiid, gives, you know, Harris easier shots. Any perimeter player will eat if you're feeding Joel and playing through the post, in my mind. Yeah, yeah, now it's like, this trade is just, I feel like the Simmons Harden trade already started off super weird. And now it just gets weirder and weirder every season. Like obviously <laughs> the the Simmons experiment for the Nets is going terribly. Um, and like, I mean, the Harden experiment with the Sixers hasn't, obviously it's gone, it's gone better, but I wouldn't say it's gone well in any, you know, in any sense. Like in the playoffs, it's still the same issues you always run into with the Harden team. 
And and now you like kind of going up, you know, off what you mentioned, like would the Sixers rather have Seth Curry still and then, you know, maybe like two to three other really high level role players who can, you know, shoot, pass, kind of make quick decisions instead of Harden. Cause like, yeah, it almost is too many mouths to feed where you have Harden trying to play his style, which doesn't really mesh with Embiid as as well as we probably thought it was going to. Um, and then I feel like the biggest thing for me, why I'm not taking the Sixers seriously, is just they just seem like they hate playing with each other. Like every time I watch their games, it's just, I don't know what it is. Like Doc Rivers doesn't help too. Like it just seems like they all hate each other. They hate Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers hates them. Like the city hates them. Like it's just, <laughs> it's a weird team. I think is a fair uh thing to say about them yeah no I um I hear you and I, I don't know if Doc is the right coach for them you know um you know he's a controversial coach too because many people say he's still living off of that one ring he won with you know arguably the best you know roster in the NBA at the time um but you know I, I won't I won't give disrespect that man or anything like that but I, I have seen some interviews where you know Maxia said some interesting things regarding like coaching decisions and lineups um so, you know, at the end of the day, I think the team, again, will only go as far as Embiid will allow it to go. So, you know, it's really going to be up to that that front office to determine, you know, how they make this move. Embiid is already 28. It doesn't seem like it because he's missed so many games. But, you know, with the way he plays and his injury history, you got to think that that window is tighter than, than it might seem. Um, yeah, older Harden, Maxie's young. Um, you know, you still have something you can do with this roster. You always have an opportunity when you haven't beat. So it'll be interesting to see again, like how they, they go about, you know, turning this thing around. And, and it's not doomsday. The season's still early, but I think we all just anticipated they'd be, you know, number one or number two seed in the East, you know, or up there at least. Yeah. I think, I think that's the biggest thing is that we had this idea of going into the season of what they would look like. And we were expecting it to be different than, you know, like the past versions of the Sixers where they had no bench and this year, it seemed like they, you know, were one of the deeper teams in the league, but so far through, I know it's only been, I think they've only played 13 games so far, but it kind of, or 14 games, but it kind of looks like the same old Sixers. So I don't know what they do, like, especially with Harden being hurt right now, they're kind of, I feel like this is the time they should kind of experiment and just see what works, you know, what doesn't. Um, but like you mentioned that, that's a good point that like, we have to keep in mind, like 28 years old for someone like Embiid is different than, 28 years old for someone like a, like a Dame Lillard, you know, you know, someone like a different body type, different play style. And like Embiid right now, I'm looking at it. He's averaging right now. Uh, what would be his career high in minutes per game at mm. 35 minutes per game, which a lot, that's not ideal. Right. Like, yeah. Like you mentioned, like his injury history is not great. Um, so that could definitely be a problem. And again, with, with Harden out, it, they're obviously going to have to rely on him. So I don't know how many, how many 59 point games he has in him before you know, knock on wood, it's another, another injury. Um, but it's always fun. I feel like to, uh, <laughs> when the Sixers are like controversial, at least, which seems to be every year, like they always seem like they should be better than they are. And then they'll go on a run where they're, you know, they take out like Milwaukee and, you know, a couple other right. top teams and everyone's like, Oh, here come the Sixers. And then it's kind of the the same old, same old, but who knows, maybe they lose a couple more games with Harden out and Dan Tony gets thrown into the mix or I don't know what other, Udoka like everyone thought he was going to go to the Nets that didn't happen uh yeah I feel like there's a lot lot up in the air for the Sixers right now um okay let's go to so to the west opposite of the Sixers this is a pleasantly surprising team so the Blazers are the number one seed at the moment um in the Western Conference nine and four 
actually tied with the Nuggets, but I think they beat the Nuggets. They have the tiebreaker. So let's kind of go like the same same questions for the Blazers. Uh, what do you what have you thought about them so far? Like, did you or what did you expect from them going going into this year? I definitely didn't expect this. You know, I, I was thinking like playing team, like, you know, eight seed, seven seed at best. Um, you know, this is a team that's going to float around 500. It's going to take Dame, you know, probably well into the season to to get acclimated. Um, yeah, I had a lot of assumptions, man, that, that were off about this team. But, you know, they're one of those rosters when you look at it from top to bottom where it works because there aren't too many cooks in the kitchen necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like Dame is that guy. We all know it. He's the one who's going to put up the most shots. Simons, yes, is, you know, second in line to that, but he's still young. Right. So he still has that, like, you know, I got a grind mentality. Sure. He got paid, but, you know, he still needs to establish himself more. And then from there down, it's really just like a bunch of just, you know, like perfect utility guys. Like Jeremy Grant fits so well with this team. He's been eating like whenever Dame is out. He's been dropping like 30 plus points, man, like super efficient too. Um, he's a solid defender, crazy athleticism. He can hit the three. He just fits in so well with this team. Um, you know, I really like Josh Hart. He's one of those like, you know, utility guys as well, does all the dirty work. Um, Justice Winslow, you know, again, similar guy. He can kind of come in and be that utility player. You know, Nurt can stay healthy. You know, he's obviously going to come in and, you know, also be that guy who'll give you a double-double, a you know, solid defense. Then the rest of their roster is just a bunch of athletes, man. Like Gary Payton hasn't even played yet, right? Um, but he's on this roster. He's going to add a, de- a defensive edge, also very athletic. Greg Brown, super athletic. Keon Johnson, super athletic. Nasir Little, super athletic. <laughs> they just have a bunch of like athletic wings on this team. So they're fun to watch. Um, I'm curious to see how Dame holds up. But even when he's been out, the team has been formidable. So I don't even know how to describe it, but they just have like a – a very well-packaged team. They just fit well together, I think. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is actually – it's good that we started with these two teams because it kind of, you know, juxtaposes, like, yeah. you know, this offseason was, like, all these teams, like the uh, the Sixers, you know, the uh, the Timberwolves, like, all these teams making these huge, like, splashy moves to get these big-name players. And you see, like, those teams aren't doing so hot, but there's a lot of teams like the Blazers and some other teams that, like, didn't make any crazy moves. Just They just made smart basketball moves that, like, help build a more cohesive team. So here, check this. I think the stat's pretty interesting. So, all right. So the Pacers, Wizards, Jazz, and Blazers, those teams right now, their combined record is 33 and 21, which would be, you know, slightly above a 50 win pace if you did it for the whole 82 game season. And then on the other hand, you have the Sixers, Warriors, Nets, and Wolves. They're 24 and 31, which is mm-hmm. under 36 game pace. Wow. And when, I mean, I feel like that would be shocking to hear at the beginning of, you know, going into the season. Right. But if you put money on, you know, anything, you put your money on the opposite group. Right. So um, yeah, that's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, man, here we are. Um, And I think you brought up a good point. So Dame has been awesome, right? Like that's, I love Dame. So it's it's great to see him, you know, bounce back from was like a tough last year, like his stats weren't great. And then he got injured, Um, but he's, he's putting up his normal, you know, usual numbers this year. But like you said, he's only played in eight games out of their 13 games. So it's not like, you know, they they still have been staying above water without him. And then I think Jeremy Grant is like, he's one of like those guys that I feel like every team could use. Oh, yeah. um, and his like his career arc is cool too. Cause remember he was on that that uh that Denver team that yep. came back from the three one lead against the Clippers, right? In the bubble. 
And, and he was solid. He was like one of their most versatile players, but he only averaged 12 points a game that year. And then he left for Detroit. You know, he was there for two years where he just got to kind of explore, like basically like, you know, see what he can get away with and kind of like just experiment and I feel like refine his game. And now here he is 28 years old. And now he's like, he has that experience of being on a good team as a role player and that experience of being on a bad team where he's the guy who could just take, you know, 15, 18 shots a game. And now this is kind of like his perfect role on a team like the Blazers where he's never going to be, you know, a top one or two player throughout the season. But in any given game, like you said, when Dame was out, like he was hitting game winners, like yeah, he was hitting pull-up threes. Like he's, yeah, he can kind of do a little bit of, of everything. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I, I think they can put out some interesting lineups. Um, I've been, you know, spending some more time like looking at like, five man lineups and just like what the net rating is just to see like, you know, is there a certain like unit that really digs the team like out of a hole? Um, again, grand like small sample size, but there's a few lineups where you look at like Lillard, Simons, Hart, Winslow, and Grant as your five. That's a dangerous lineup because you have a ton of playmakers. You have shooters that are dynamic. Then you have a very mobile, athletic five that can also shoot threes. Guess what the net rating is for that lineup? Very small sample size. Yeah, it was like over 20? 73.9. <laughs> yeah. What? The, offense, the offense is ridiculous. You know, it's just like yeah. 69 points um, per 100 possessions. <laughs> That's <laughs> wild. Oh, my God. So maybe somebody yeah. went off that game and just throwing it off. But, like, still, you can see, like, you, they have some interesting combinations. They wanted to go small ball. I think they have a very dangerous team. Like, they can match up well with a team like the Warriors who might want to go mm-hmm. small ball, right, um, in a playoff series. So, yeah, I like them a lot. They can go big if they need to with Merck, and they can also scale down. That's another reason why I think Jeremy Grant is super valuable to any team. And then they also have Little, who could also probably play a small ball five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I think – the last positive thing that I'll say on the Blazers before I kind of have to be a wet blanket, um, you know, our last episode, we talked a bunch about how good this rookie class looks. And I think one of the guys who doesn't get talked about as much because he's not putting up, you know, the crazy uh, counting stats like Paolo or, you know, Jaden Ivey or, or Matherin are, um, is Shaden Sharp, who was like a super unknown going into the draft, right? He didn't play a single minute at Kentucky, but he was still a, you know, a super hype prospect. Um, and he's putting up, so nine points, nine points per game, three rebounds, you know, like doesn't sound crazy, but he's only playing 20 minutes a game and he's shooting 52% from the field and 44 and a half from three. So like, that's perfect, you know, role player stuff. And, you know, again, he's 19 years old. Like he's one of those guys that can just heat up. Like I feel like he can kind of fill that Dame role if you need to, for like, you know, for a, a couple minutes here or there. Um, He's been super fun to watch. And I, you know, I didn't get to watch any of his highlights because I wasn't watching like he was playing in what some random like AAU league. I feel like that's the last kind of game footage we have of him. But I, I feel like he's been he's been pretty fun to watch too. Yeah, I um I, I personally think, man, like with the right setting, like if you know the Blazers can kind of like, you know, track him along nicely. I think he's an all-star. I think he has that kind of potential. Like you just watch him play, he has like a certain swag to his game. And he's like uber athletic, super, mm-hmm. super athletic. He has some crazy uh, dunks. If you ever, you know, go and watch his highlights, you'll see it's pretty wild, man. So, yeah, he's one of those guys from Canada. There's been a mm-hmm. crazy influx of these, like, like swaggy Canadian dudes, like Matherin. With the- I was going to say, what, like, he's kind of – Shaden Sharp is kind of like Matherin without the the hype. I mean, 
it's like they're similar kind of play styles. Just like I get like the swag that they carry themselves with is I think that's the biggest thing. Is like they don't carry themselves like rookies. Like they're they came right into the league and they're like I'm gonna do what I do. Like their shot making is ridiculous. They try and dunk on people and like that's what you have to do. I feel like especially to have both those guys are having impacts on teams with with good records so far. So damn. I hate to say it, but the Canada Canadian national team is like, it's looking nice. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like they must come into the league with a chip on their shoulder, right? Like they're always seen as the the weaker of, you know, North American, mm-hmm. uh, you know, powers when it comes to, to basketball. But, you know, this, these kids are literally the best in their entire country. So bring that over here. And, you know, I think it's not a surprise that you have that level of confidence. And then these guys were also playing against, a lot of the top players in the U.S., right, because they come mm-hmm. on prep school, so they get best of both worlds, you know. So, um, yeah, I think they track him along, man. Again, he's if he's not starting, you know, by year three at the latest, like, I'd be surprised. Like, something would be off in my mind. Yeah, yeah, and that's great to have is, like, either Dame insurance or Simon's insurance because those are three guys that kind of, like, they're all, like, at different stages of their career, but they're all kind of just what you need is just a guard who can just – give you 30 but can also play make and is also gonna you know is not scared is not gonna be scared like in those clutch moments um but now like i mentioned i have to kind of uh rain on the blazers parade so same thing <laughs> we asked with the sixers like would you take them seriously and i would just say i the only reason that i don't take them seriously right now that's the big caveat um because i feel like they do have pieces to make a move but like you mentioned they have a great small ball lineup but they don't have who's their backup center, right? It's Drew Eubanks, who's not even a center. He's 6'9", and he's played in, like, less than 200 games in his career and averages, like, 14 minutes a game. So, you know, what if they go up against Jokic or in, a in you know, an ideal setting, like an Anthony Davis-type player, or even a Giannis if they got to the finals? Like, uh, Nurkic is going to get in foul trouble in, like, the first five minutes, and then, you know, where do you go from there? So, yeah, what, what do you think – where do you, like, kind of – see them like in the at the end of the season like if you saw the Blazers in the playoff series what would you would you be scared of them or kind of where where do you stand on them yeah um you brought up a great point about Nurkic not to mention his health right he's you know injured pretty frequently as well mm-hmm. but yeah I mean uh, they've gotten off to a hard uh very hot start you know you can't um you know knock them for that but you know what what concerns me the most with them is you know how will they fare in a seven game series right um you know I I don't know if uh they have the the wherewithal to be able to compete with the team for, you know, an entire series, especially when so much of your offense is predicated on, you know, Dane and, you know, and free Simons, right. And Simons is young, like he lacks some mm-hmm. experience. So if I'm playing them, you know, think about the Raptors, for example, and how they game plan against superstars, they hard double the shit out of <laughs> the best player on the other team and they panic. Right. I could see them kind of breaking the Blazers down, right? Or another team, you know, breaking the Blazers down just by trapping Dane, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens if you take him out of the equation? Like their offense will, you know, plummet, you know, at that point. So I think it's tricky. Um, you know, you also look at their early season and, you know, they have played some good teams. You know, I'm looking, they played the Suns, um, you know, they played played the Lakers, which they beat, the Kings, Nuggets, Heat. So they won against some, you know, good teams as well. So it's worth mentioning that. But, you know, it's early season, I think they'll kind of come back down to reality and end up finishing. My gut would tell me somewhere between like five and seven. Um, but, you know, who knows, man? Um, 
this season's been pretty unpredictable. But if I was a betting man, I'd probably put them somewhere down there. I don't know if they can maintain that top four status. Yeah, I feel like I would kind of go in that same that same range. Um, but again, I feel like they do have pieces though where they could make a move. Because I, I I guess we could have looked it up before, but I mean they had to have gotten a couple picks in that the CJ deal, right? Yeah. Um, they also they owe the Bulls a pick this year if it's if they land outside the lottery. So if they make the playoffs, they owe the Bulls their draft pick. Um, okay which is interesting, but um, let me, yeah, I, I haven't looked up their draft capital situation, so I'm not quite sure, but they have to have something from the CJ trade. Um, yeah. I feel like they, I know because nice. they definitely, they got obviously like Josh Hart back, but I feel like, I mean, CJ was worth at least a couple first round picks. Um, and then, I mean, let me check like the rest of their roster. Why, why you look that up? Um, yeah. I think, you know, if, if Nasir Little keeps playing, like he has been recently, like they can, you know, they can get value out of those guys. And if they own, you know, some future picks of their own outside, I feel like it's pretty safe to assume they won't be in the lottery this year, you know, contingent on Dame staying healthy. Um, but yeah, I wonder if they could be, you know, a team in in the mix for a move, whether it's a, a big or like a, a big wing or, you know, one of those kind of moves that will put them into a different echelon as far as like playoff teams go. Yeah, and just a like quick note on this too. So it looks like um, so I was right. This year's they only have one first rounder, and it's top four team protected. It goes to us if not, and it's from a three team trade um, when we traded marketing um, between the Cavs and the Blazers and the Bulls. Um, so that one was interesting. I forgot that it was a three team trade. Um, it was Derek Jones Jr. was involved, um, plus a draft pick. We moved market in, and then there were some more picks exchanged. Um, in 2024, they have their own pick. In 2025 is where you see some of the draft capital. So they have um, a Pelicans pick that's top four protected. And it looks like they have a Bucks pick that was, you know, from some other, you know, convoluted trade. It looks pretty complicated, so I don't get too <laughs> many leagues. And then 2026 and on, they just have their pick. So not like they got a massive haul. I see some second rounders attached to CJ, like three of them. So it looks like they primarily pulled in just that one first rounder from that deal. Um, so nothing crazy, but they could still, if they wanted to mortgage some of their future, you know, go and get someone. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. That's kind of hard to come up with on the spot, like who they could get just because man, the, with all these trades, like with all these teams getting superstars for all these complex, like packages of picks, it's so hard to keep track of like, wait, so who owns what? Like, Oh wait, they own this pick, but it's, there's all these different, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, protections and like yeah. stipulations and all this stuff like I, yeah it's it's so hard it makes your head hurt um but yeah i feel like this is this is the blazers this is where i enjoy the blazers i feel like this is where they enjoy being too it's like right here where it's like they're oh people are surprised that they're top seed in in the west but then watch them make the you know make the western finals like they did maybe like five four or five years ago you know when they when they played the warriors and got smacked but that's what they do like they always overperform and you just wonder because this is not the old Blazers that we know, like maybe they have a deal in them. Um, like, I, I mean, that stat that I mentioned where there's all these teams with, with like superstar talent that they made big moves for. I wonder if that kind of even leads to more chaos down the road. If like those teams continue to underperform, like would the, would the T-Wolves be like looking to move cat? Uh, like, I mean, that could be a cool fit, like depending on what the Blazers have to give up, but 
like I mentioned, they don't have a real center or like a backup center. I mean, you know, something like that. Um, Yeah. Wow. And I feel like they have, uh, do they still have Neil O'Shea as their GM or did he get, did he get, he had like resign in disgrace or something. I feel like I'm, that's kind of coming back to me now. I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was fired. Oh, okay. <laughs> who do they? Does it say who who their who their uh, who their GM is now? Joe Cronin. All right, Since, I don't know uh, who that is. December. He's in interim though. I don't know if they oh. fully give him the the label. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm not too, too familiar with. Uh, with him either joe cronin he's been with the blazers for 16 years though so looks like he's worked his way up from like serving as an intern and basketball ops like all the way up so he's probably one of those in-house guys that just knows everything about the team (laughs) yeah i was gonna say that's always the origin story it's like the eric spolstra like yeah he started in the video room as like an unpaid intern and now he's like (laughs) yelling at jimmy butler and like yelling at lebron (laughs) getting into the fights yeah <laughs> okay well then i guess that's yeah i mean the blazers again i feel like they're just they're they're a team to keep an eye on where i feel like the jazz i don't i don't know about them as much um but again they're another team where who knows i feel like we kind of talked about this last week where you don't know what they could do because like how like how's that work like if you're danny Ainge, you're going into the season just thinking all right cool we have a million draft picks mm-hmm. and we're going to be terrible this year so we're going to get again, ideally like a top two pick uh, at worst, like top four. But then next thing you know, I think the Jazz are what, 10 and five right now? Yeah. You know, tied for the most wins in the league. Um, And so then like, what do you do? Do you stick to the plan? Like, I mean, the fans in Utah are crazy. Like, I feel like we were saying how we have trouble understanding how all this like rebuilding strategy and like draft capital and all that works. Like, you know, the fans in Utah, they just want to see a good team. So, you know, you can't just start going full OKC and like benching, you know, sitting people with like made up injuries. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on uh, the Blazers. Um, Let's see. Okay. So just because the people of Salt Lake city and, and the rest of Utah, which I can't name another city there, um, but (laughs) shout out Utah. All right, let's go into the jazz. So 10 and five, um, which is, third seed in the in the west right now but basically tied for the first seed with denver and portland just whatever based off win percentages um and i i know it must hurt you to talk about him but we have to start with laurie marketing right i mean where else you start when you talk about the jazz this year yeah i mean listen you know as a bulls fan i'm happy to see him succeed you know um using a tough position with the with the with the bulls you know we we got him. We got him off to a quick start. You know, second year, I think he was averaging like 18 and, and nine. You know, he looked like he was going to be an all-star. Um, I think that the game just got too complicated for him, though. And I think there was an interview, and he said something along the lines of, you know, he just wasn't ha- having fun his last two years in Chicago. It was just a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. You know, I think it was difficult. He didn't know when he should take shots. You know, you have Zach Levine, you got Kobe White, Chris Dunn. You know, all these young players coming in, um, you know, veterans as well. You think he also crossed over with Jimmy for a year or so. Or no, he wouldn't have crossed over with Jimmy because they traded for each other. But, um, you know, it was just a difficult situation. And he had subpar coaching with Jim Boylan. So, at first, I just want to air that out there that, you know, I always knew that he had potential. 
but it just wasn't the right fit in the right timing with the Bulls. And you look at the Jazz, they have the perfectly constructed roster for someone like marketing because it's like a free flowing offense. You know, anyone has essentially has a green light if you have a good shot. There's plenty of spacing, which is great for him. He doesn't have to play the five. You know, they have you know, Olenek as well. They have Walker Kessler, who's, you know, low-key a beast as well. Um, so they have a really good team that I think just fits his game well. You know, he's a true seven-footer, like fluid athlete, you know, volume three-point shooter. You know, I think he could be more efficient, sure. But you know, I think he's shown us that at best he could be an all-star. He's, you know, definitely not the best player on a championship team by any means, but you know, he could be that second guy, um, you know, or he could be, you know, the best player on a, on a fringe, you know, playoff team. So um, I, I'm happy for him. Again, I think he fits what they need perfectly and he fits, you know, well within the Jazz's, you know, kind of free flowing offense where there's no egos and no true superstars. So yeah, I'm happy to see him succeed, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's a, he's an interesting case too. It's kind of similar to what we were talking about with Jeremy Grant, right. Where, yeah. right. We're like, I think Markman is showing now that he can he can fill a bunch of different roles, which I think in the NBA, that's the most important thing when you're a guy like him that, like you said, he's never going to be the best player on a championship team. Honestly, on a championship team, ceiling probably is like the third best guy or yeah. even maybe even lower than that. But he's always going to be a solid role player. So it's like and he's a guy that can step up in the regular season if you need someone to to take over for, you know, if like a star player is, is sitting out. Um, but looking at his like his career, his basketball reference page, it's like, it's, it's really solid numbers. I mean, and it just kind of shows like, think about how quickly we, we change our minds like eight different times on a, on a player in just a few years. So like you mentioned his second year, which is, I mean, that's awesome stats, like 19 points, nine rebounds a game. Um, But even his rookie year, like as a rookie averaging 15 and eight and like shooting 36% from three on six threes a game. And that's only in 30 minutes per game. Like that's, that's really solid numbers, right? Um, and yeah. the fact that like he hasn't really he's his numbers have dipped slightly since then, but he's never averaged fewer than uh 13 and a half points per game. So it's just more like I think it's just the expectations for him were so high that the fact that he never kind of you know reached those levels maybe we're kind of holding it against him. But I mean, let me ask you this: like, there's another guy kind of similar body type, uh, kind of maybe not similar game, but there's some resemblance, some, yeah, some resemblances. Um, I mean, Patrick Williams, like who, who would you rather have right now? Like who's, who's ceiling is higher, even at this point, even though marketing's a couple years older, but I mean, just based off the flashes that they've shown, let me just throw that at you. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think fit wise right now, if, if Patrick Williams can become who we think he can, I think he fits this team better than marketing does. I would hate to see a lineup with Vucevic and Markinen together. Um, I just don't – I wouldn't be able to trust it. You know, I don't know why. Um, but I think the two of them kind of position themselves similar, similar, similarly similarly on the court. Um, just botched that word big time. But um, <laughs> they're uh, always, you know, kind of perimeter-oriented. Um, you know, Markinen can also drive to the basket. He's far more versatile than Vucevic, don't get me wrong. But I just think positioning-wise, like, those two would be difficult to play together as starters. Um, now, the other thing to mention with marketing is, like, he hasn't had the, the most luck health-wise. Like, mm-hmm. you know, looking at his stats as well, the most games he's played was his rookie year when he played 68. After that, he played, what, 52, 50, 51. 
And you look at his last season in Chicago, you know, he only started half of those games. He played 25 minutes a game. And he was shooting just below 50% from the field and 40% from three on lower volume. So, you know, it was very fascinating to see that, you know, it's clear that the Bulls realized that year, like, you know, hey, like he's not a part of our, our long-term plans. But he still came in and produced, you know, all things, uh, you know, given. That's why that year, you know, scoring was so low. But, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, that was actually his most efficient year. Yeah, and actually that's that's such a great point. I wonder if that's like – that's what – I feel like that's – you know, Danny Ainge, again, like a super smart GM – I feel like that's what those types of GMs look at. Like that was Markkanen's like perfect embodiment of what he can be, right? Like, so you mentioned it, career low minutes per game, but still super solid, like 14 points, five rebounds and the 40% from three and almost 50 from the floor. Like that's, I feel like that's what every good team could use, right? Like not high volume, but just efficient. And he's not, I feel like he's not bad on defense, right? I mean, maybe because he's, he's swole, like maybe that kind of, kind of makes you think that he's better on D, but I don't know. I feel like, yeah, that's, that's actually, you said you were like, for some reason I couldn't see Vucevic and Markkanen as a starting front court. Was it too white or too foreign? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, I think it's, um, I, I, I think it's too foreign, man. Like, I don't know what it is, but um, I think with in today's NBA, like you need to have like one one of your two bigs should be able to play a perimeter position or like guard perimeter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're considering like the four to be a big, like that person needs to be able to go out on the perimeter. And I would just have some reservations. Now, I've seen Lowry do it this season, but I have some reservations about the two of them, right? Like I just see it with Vucevic already, and I've seen it with Markinen as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, I just couldn't imagine the two of them you know, on the floor together. Like, imagine, like, if Giannis, we're playing Giannis, dude, like, he would just bully through those two, man. Not to say Patrick Williams would put up any more resistance, but, you know, he can at least guard the perimeter as well. Yeah. Um, my fear is that we're going to give up on Patrick Williams just like we did marking it. And we'll be having the same kind of conversation, you know, two years down the road, and then he'll be some random-ass team, you know, like, you know, who the magic or the Hornets dropping like 25 and, and eight. <laughs> yep. And I feel like the magic, you didn't come up, come up with that out of nowhere. That's just because Wendell has been going off for them. Like he's been an awesome fit with them. Yeah. And that's, that's the hard thing with, with being a GM. And I feel like maybe that's also another part of it where like marketing gets drafted to, to a team like Chicago, where obviously huge expectations, right? Like one of the, the biggest markets in the NBA, and like again, like he's he's putting up good numbers, but it's just you know it still doesn't seem to be enough. And then he gets shipped off to a place like Utah, where like they've had good teams, obviously, but they're not a huge market, right? Like the the media presence on them is more positive, like right? You know, they kind of like hype their players up. So this could just be like a great example of that. Um, the thing is, though, he has been like. And this could be, I mean, this could lead to a conversation on the Lakers that we don't want to get into right now because we're trying to avoid <laughs> the Nets and the Lakers, even though we brought up the Nets like 40 times in the last, <laughs> the first half of this episode. But Markkinen, the way that he was going at Anthony Davis when they played the Lakers maybe uh, like a week ago or so, mm-hmm. like, I, so I don't know if, if that's like Markkinen leveling up or it's like, oh, whoa, like the league realizes that AD is not the same guy on defense because marketing is just driving on him and like finishing over him like not afraid to drive at him which you know three three years ago 
like no one was trying to to drive the paint when AD was there. So I don't know. Do you think let's not get to Lakers, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's we're we're towing the line right there. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's a combination of the two though. Um, you know, for one, like Markin and clearly is more comfortable attacking the basket this year more than prior years. Like that's what I used to beg for is like, dude, put it on the ground. Like it felt like when he was on the Bulls, he would settle for so many perimeter shots. And I feel like that's because he's complicating the game too much. It was probably like you're a shooter, shoot the ball, Lowry. Mm. But I feel like here it's like, you know, go down, get downhill. If you see, if you have an opportunity, shoot if you're open. Like I feel like his options were more limited when he was on the Bulls, and now he has more of that that green light. So you know, a guy like you know, AD, I think that is in the scouting report now. Unfortunately, right? Like he doesn't, clearly doesn't move his feet laterally as best you know best as he used to be able to. You know, he's kind of clumsy, flailing all over. So a guy like Markinen, you body him up. You know, you gotta like your chances and then you know ad you will take some possessions off on defense he does do it right um so i think there's a, a combination at hand there for sure but let's you know again not discount that marketing and clearly is you know leveled up and mm-hmm. his confidence at an all-time high and y'all look back at Eurobasket, right that's when he was you know dominating this past summer he averaged like 27 or 28 points a game just below Giannis for you know the lead across the entire Eurobasket, which is more than luca so says something that is a good point. Yeah. Cause that's like, that can do something for a player. I feel like where it's, you know, you're playing with like with people that you grew up playing with, you kind of been on the same circuit for however many years. And it's like, this, it's kind of like a space again, kind of the Jeremy Grant in Detroit thing. Just it's like a, a space to explore your boundaries, basically like see what you can get away with, like see what works, see what doesn't work. And, and that's, that's the thing again, like, so Ben Simmons never plays with the Australian team, which is like, that's weird because they have good players. Like they have Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, mm-hmm. like Bogut. Like they're they have a stacked team, and he just doesn't play with them. Which weird. Again, going back to the Nets, but yeah, that's a good point. Like Markinen, he he might have discovered something playing with uh, with Finland. Um, all right, and then I think the next guy in the Jazz we should talk about is uh, hmm, there's a lot of guys. I think Mike Conley is an interesting one, um, just because. I feel like even myself, I'm kind of guilty of this. I kind of like left him for dead last year, even <laughs> though his numbers were solid. But I mean, this year, so he's putting up 11 points and eight assists per game in 30 minutes per game. That's like, he's 35. I mean, here, okay, here. <laughs> Let me throw <laughs> out a question for you. Who would you rather have right now, Mike Conley or Kyle Lowry? That's a tough question, man. i probably go Conley than Lowry. I feel like uh, Lowry just isn't going to be available, man. Like he just, uh, I don't know, man. He, it seems like there's, there's some nights when Lowry is still Lowry, but on most nights he's not Lowry anymore from what I've seen. He doesn't like have the same impact on the game he used to, um, which is unfortunate to see, but I think Conley for what this team needs makes way more sense. Um, you know, if I'm building a team from the ground up, like maybe I think, think about Lowry, but I'd lean towards Conley because at this point I think he truly knows like what he needs to do on this team, which is primarily just be a you know efficient facilitator. Um, and he can hit the open shot still, which he, you know, is proven. It's not as clean as it used to be, but um, I, I think I'd lean him against Lowry. How about you? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that kind of feels crazy to say, but I think I agree. Um, you know, if you look at their, their counting stats, pretty much the same, but I do think like, you know, we kind of, so we have to make sure like we're not, hold, we have to hold ourselves so we don't do this double standard where like, 
you know, sometimes we'll be like, oh, this guy averages X assists, X number of assists, but like, look who he's playing with. Yeah. Like the fact that Conley is averaging eight assists per game with no one on that team that we before this season would think of as like anything better than like a fourth option on an okay team, you know, he's averaging yeah, eight assists per game. Like, yeah. That's, I mean, I don't, I don't have it up in front of me, but that has to be like top, at least top 10, you know? Um, and in only 30 minutes too, which I think that's another thing. It's like, it's not like they're just throwing Conley out there for like 37 minutes a game just to boost his trade value. I think he, he really is like, he knows his role right now. You know, it's like eight assists here. Here's the thing. All right. Eight assists per game, 1.6 turnovers. That's like what, what team, what team show me a team that could not use Mike Conley. That's super solid. Yeah, I don't know what um, Lowry's averaging turnover wise. Let's let's see, two two turnovers. Um, but yeah, that's that's super. That's uber efficient, man. That's elite. Um, yeah, because the job is simple now, right? It's super simple. Like let's just move the ball. Um, and man, this is crazy. This is the first time I ever looked at Conley and Lowry side by side, dude. Their stats are like eerily similar. They're like fourteen point eight points, five point seven assists versus six point three assists across like a thousand games. That's crazy, dude. Maybe it's just, it's just that it's really, I think it's just because their body types are like the exact opposite. Like Kyle Lowry looks like Mike Conley, eight, seven Mike Conleys, but like they still <laughs> kind of play the same. And they're yeah. like, yeah, I think it's just again, like Conley kind of again, like got traded to Utah, which is kind of like a wasteland. Um, for as far as like this team goes, as far as what we thought going into the year. And Lowry was like, oh, he's on the, the heat, which, you know, had just made the finals. Um, and are like hoping to make another finals run, blah blah blah. But yeah, I honestly I think I would take I would take Conley right now. Just he seems like lower, not lower maintenance, because I don't think Kyle Lowry's high maintenance, but it just seems like more 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 negatives with Lowry. I feel like like Conley is just gonna do his job again. Eleven points, eight assists per game, and none neither of us have even looked at his stats like until tonight. I feel like yeah, this is the most assists he's he's ever averaged so far in Brandon, you know, beginning of the season. But that surprises me. Like I would have just assumed Conley had like some super high assist totals in the past, but the most he's averaged before this year is what like six point five. So yeah, that's that's wild. Um I always thought Conley had like gotten close to double digits in the past. Um but man, you know, you just look at this roster and I'm looking at you know top eleven guys on this team you know, all are talented, right? Um, so I think the question comes down to, is this an audition or tryout of some sort? Are you are you trying to see, you know, who has some future potential? Or are you trying to raise trade values on certain guys and, and move them for more picks? You know, it's really curious. I'm, re- I'm really curious to see what Ainge would do, you know, because I'm looking here and if I'm counting this right, they have 13 draft picks through 2029, um, including a swap as well with minnesota in 2026 which could be a really good that's value i feel like that's valuable yeah yeah (laughs) and i don't think it's protected either so (laughs) they have a you know a lot of unprotected picks just leave it at that um cleveland's likely isn't going to work that much again minnesota dude they could be they could be living large off those minnesota picks if everything plays out like like it could so you know looking at their lineup you know again like you know yeah tht he's still considered a prospect i'd say you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, kind of forget about him. I thought mm-hmm. he could be a decent guy, right? He doesn't even play. Um, Walker Kessler is a first-round draft pick. Rudy Gay, like, valuable veteran that could probably play anywhere at this point in his career. Malik Beasley is a bucket. 
Colin Sexton, he could be a part of the future or he could be a trade chip. And yeah, Conley, like we said, Clarkson could get traded. Vanderbilt, like he's just a solid role player. Olenek, he could probably get traded. And yeah, marketing, like all these guys, like there's no one that jumps off the page, but you, know, you can either trade them or just keep them. Like it's all house money for them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why they're such an interesting team to kind of like look at and try and project forward because because they have they're like too deep right now. They really are like a college team where it's just a March Madness team. Like, how is this team? It's also because like they're like half white dudes. <laughs> like, who are these dudes? <laughs> they're like Florida Gulf Coast or something. But but all those picks too. It's so it's interesting. So I think um, the point that you brought up about I did not realize this is Mike Conley's right now would be his career high in assists per game for a full season. So I feel like that means we have to start thinking about Will Hardy, the head coach, in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, uh, D'Antoni, like those types of coaches where they're going to they're going to maximize, you know, a point guard's kind of output. Um, uh, so I wonder if like. It's a good transition into our next topic, but I wonder if like a guy like Shea, Gilgis Alexander, right, you get like that kind of point guard who's already on a contract for multiple years already has shown flashes that he can go off. Like he can put up elite numbers. He just hasn't had the opportunity to do it on a good team. Not any, anything of his fault, right? Like he's getting shut down for the season with fake injuries because the thunder are tanking. Um, So I wonder if you start there and then you have to add like one more piece. And I feel like you would need either a big, like a legit center or power forward or like a, just a big wing, you know? Um, So then it kind of, then the question is like, who is that that next disgruntled, you know, star that's trying to get out of of whatever situation they're in? Yeah, I mean, whew. you brought you bring up a really good point. Like this kind of just in my mind just screamed like, oh wow, like is this like is Mike Conley basically like Steve Nash on the Suns when he was aging out like fine wine or CP on the Suns like aging out? You know, is he just gonna like put up like ten and ten basically? And, just orchestrate the offense and hit clutch shots. But yeah, you bring up a good point. Like, you know, for all intents and purposes, like watching the Thunder right now, like they're competitive every for, for a lot of these games, right? Like SGA is getting them into the game. And if he had a better supporting cast, and I'm not talking like another co-star, I actually like this. I like this roster with SGA as it is, maybe one more rim protector to just, like, sure up the defense or one more perimeter defender. But, dude, if you kind of unleashed him here and, you know, he was still moving the ball, but he got his own shots, this team could be, like, really good, actually. Um, at least, like, regular season winning games. Playoffs is always another story. But, um, yeah, I mean, how many picks do you think it would take to get SGA? I mean, I feel like you could kind of leverage the fact that the Thunder already have, like, 7 million picks against them. Just be like, Hey, it's only, you know, a couple more, like maybe three picks and then give them like if they're interested in THT or even Kess- Walker, Kessler, Kessler Walker, whatever his name is. Like, you know, I feel like you, you could get him for not much just because the Thunder have been kind of weird with him as far as like, you know, sitting him and all that. You can kind of like play that against them. Um Yeah. Hey, that would be a fun team. Like, if you just threw him onto this team right now. Yeah. And they get, like, a legit – I mean, I feel like he's a legit star. I don't I don't feel bad saying that. Like, 
he's a legit star. I mean, let me see here. Like we're going to go into some numbers later, but let me just read. So he's played 12 games so far. So he's only missed one game this year. He's averaging 31 points, four rebounds, six assists, 54% from the field, 36 on three, which is, you know, it's solid. He's only taking two a game. This is the craziest number, actually. He's shooting 33.5% from the free throw line on almost eight attempts per game. Wait, wait, would you? Bro, yeah, double check. No, fact check me. He's shooting 90. Oh, wait, what did I say? I say 30 something. Yeah. Wait, rewind. Oh, okay. 93 and a half percent. My bad. Yeah. 93 and a half percent from the free throw line on like eight attempts. That's, That's like Steph Curry's not, I mean, he's probably got there in one year, but like he's always at like 91, 92%. Is this kind of usage sustainable in your eyes? Probably not. Um, but what he's playing like 35, 36 minutes a game. Um, I don't wow. know though. I mean, those so, okay. So those offensive numbers, crazy, right? And then on defense, two steals a game. And man, this honestly might be just as crazy as that free throw number. He's averaging one and a half blocks per game. And he's like six four, like Jeez. super skinny. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Um and he's from Canada, he's from Toronto. I know. <laughs> I mean, his wingspan is like 6'11", so he has a sick, like, you know, frame for to be the perfect, like, two-way guard. Um, but, yeah, dude, I mean, I it's tough that he's in Oklahoma City, but, you know, my brother, you know, he's from he, – he lives out there. He has season tickets, man. Like, he's always telling me about him. He's always sending me clips. It's always some buzzer beater, like some saucy shot. So, I don't know. They have something brewing over there. I think they'd be foolish to let go of him, but – you know, who knows, whatever draft pick they get, plus, you know, Holmgren, which, you know, a lot of people already forgot about. Like, who's to say that team isn't already, like, complete? Um, Thunder have done a, a hell of a job of drafting, man. And, yeah, Josh Giddy, they just have so many people. Like, that's – they're probably their own video. Mm-hmm. Own yeah. Own podcast. For, they really are, like, the – there's, like, a how-to or, like, tanking and rebuilding for dummies. It would be the Thunder, basically, since they traded – what like KD or Harden? I guess even starting with Harden, like yeah, starting from there, man. That's why. That's why I think if you're a team trying to get Shea, you have to be like, you have to go full like messy, full like soap opera, and just get him. <laughs> you have to get someone in his camp to start being like, yeah, I'm not down to like sit out multiple seasons just because you guys are trying to tank. Like I want to play for a, a real team. I hate Oklahoma City too. Like it has he has to do stuff like that to to get out of there. And that'd be kind of funny if he did that to get to Utah. But that's uh <laughs> that's besides the point. Yeah, the Eric Bledsoe, I don't want to be here too. <laughs> <laughs> um and then the, the last thing I'll say about the Jazz, just to close the loop on them, is I totally forgot. They also have that dude uh Abaji from uh Kansas, the other first round pick. <laughs> and I was saying, like, oh, they could use another like perimeter defender who can shoot, like there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's what they drafted him for. Yeah, I totally forgot about him. He's not even getting minutes, which is crazy because this should be a tanking team and their lottery pick isn't even playing. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, that is. Man. Um, and again, the Jazz are kind of another one of those teams where like they're fun when they're exceeding expectations because their their crowd is just so hyped all the time. Like even if they suck, the crowd would still be going crazy. But now that they're actually good and like 
beating good teams. Like I feel like teams are still going into Utah being like, oh, it's fine. Like they're just oh. on the hot streak. Like they are not that good. And then next thing you know, they're beating they're beating everybody. Um it is worth mentioning, you know, <clears throat> all it takes is one week, one off week, and these guys can be like, you know, ninth seed or tenth seed. Same with same goes with the Blazers, right? If you look at the Western standings, right? From one to six, it's one and a half games separating everybody. And go further to ten, it's three games of separation. So all it takes Yo. is a week, and these guys can literally be, you know, out on the outside looking in. Um, and you kind of see with the Cavs, right? The Cavs were just like number one. They've dropped like three or four in a row, I think, or uh, four in a row, and now they're you know fourth seed and, and falling. So um, this early in the season, with a lot of teams having playoff aspirations. And guys like the, the Warriors that had a slow start that are catching up, like nothing is safe. Um, so this could just be a, a blip on the radar. And maybe Ainge is just waiting for that to happen. And then he'll maximize everyone's value and put mm-hmm. them, you know, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. No, that, that's so true. Like that's crazy. I didn't even see that. Like the difference between the first seed in the West and being out of the play in three games. <laughs> that's so wild. I guess that, that, I guess that is. Just, yeah, small sample size theater or whatever. Um, but I think it's this also speaks to the parody, right? We talked about this the last last episode, but I truly do think that it's going to be just tighter, you know? Like, yeah, there's no way the Warriors will remain the 13th seed, but if you look at it, like, they're five and eight, and everyone above them has been playing well. And mm-hmm. you have a lot of teams just hovering around 500. Same thing in the East for once as well. Like, you know, the Bulls and the um, Nets, for example, are six and eight. They're looking outside, right? But, you know, only literally, what, two games separate them from the fifth seed. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be tight, which I love to see, you know, um, like a true true league of parity. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it so great, too, because we can, like, talk about these teams that made these big trades and just be like, oh, the world is falling. Like, the, 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 uh, the T-Wolves are, like, whatever, you know, they look terrible. But at the end of the day, you know, they're again what they're half a game out of playing, you know, one and a half games out of the seven seed. So yeah, no, this parody, it really is great. Like I hope KD is looking at the standings too tonight, being like, ah, I see why people were mad at me for going to the Warriors. This is kind of uh, nice here having like no no favorite, honestly. I mean, I really don't think there's a favorite. Like I would say the Bucks, but again, like, you know. I, I would say the Bucks just because they don't have Middleton for a single game this year, and they're still they have the best record in the entire league. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Celtics have been streaking; they're on like six game winning streak. Um, and Tatum looks like an MVP, but yeah, maybe that's a <laughs> that's topic for uh, another episode. Well, actually, here, okay. Before we do the before we finish with like some crazy stat lines, that is a good question. So, so I think it's. I think it's safe to say, right? The the Bucks and the Celtics, those are the top, those look like the best two teams in the league, right? Like not by a mile, but by like a significant amount. Yeah, no, for okay. sure. Okay. So who would you say here? I'll give you like a little extra space to work with this. If you had to predict right now, who's playing in the Western Conference Finals? Oh man, that's a tough one, dude. That's really tough. Because I look at the top four and I can only say with certainty that I think one of those teams will be in there for sure. For sure. Is the, it the Nuggets? The, exactly. The Nuggets. The Nuggets, I think, have looked pretty damn good. Like Michael Porter Jr. looks good. 
Mm-hmm. If Murray can start to regain some of his form, Jokic dude is just he's like the he's the best superstar um to have on your team. He's so unselfish, man. Like I just watched him pick us apart <laughs> the other night and like I actually enjoyed it. Like it's like geez, like he didn't he just reads everything, man. So and so wait, I have to just really quick before sorry to interrupt. I have to just do this Jokic stat really quick because that I looked at that box score against the Bulls where they killed you. Was he, he plus like a hundred or something? Bro, he was four for four field goals. He only took four shots. Yes. And so I was like, wait a sec. Like I feel like I've been looking at too many Nuggets box scores where this dude just isn't even shooting. So all right. For the season. So again, the the Nuggets, they are uh they're nine and four right now which mm-hmm. is tied for the number one seed with the Blazers in the West. Okay. So top seed, basically in the conference, he's averaging 21 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists, shooting 61% from the floor. And he's only playing 31 minutes per game. Right. And so then so I fresh. Yeah. <laughs> wait, and then, and then, so, so I look, I'm like, wait a sec, how's he shooting that high of a percentage? I look at how many shots he's taking. He's taking 13 field goal attempts per game. Right. So I'm like, okay, let's check the, the league standings on that. These are people who are shooting the same amount of shots as him or more. Okay. PJ Washington, Lonnie Walker, Josh Giddy, and Jeremy Grant. Wow. Those who are taking the same amount of shots as Jokic. So I just feel like there's they're the one seed right or tied for the one seed right now. And he's not even trying. Dude, he's so efficient, man. Like it's just everything he does, like it's not a wasted effort out there. Like just watching him again, you know, not needing to score, like he's redefining like what a superstar player truly is. So, um, dude, I, I really, I really like them to come out of the West. Um, no matter who they play against, like right now, if I had to pick a team from the West, I'd pick the Nuggets. Um, now, who they would match up with is, I have no, no idea, man. Like, it's tough to say because the Dubs are the Dubs, and you can't discount them. So, I want to have them somewhere on my, on my list. I thought the Clippers would do something, but, you know, we don't know what's up with Kawhi. So they're just a huge question mark right now. Um, the Pellies, I was pretty high on them this past episode, but I don't know. Something's not right about them. I can't quite put my finger on it um, just from watching them. So if I had to go another team, man, like I'm tempted to say the Grizzlies um, would be a, a good team to match up, um, you know, potentially in the playoffs. Suns, I'm not too bullish on them, man. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but I think they'll get bounced early in the playoffs. Like, I don't think they'll have another deep run. Um, you know, CP just doesn't look like he can contribute the way he has. You know, Cam Johnson being out for some time. You're missing Jay Crowder. I just don't think it's the same team. Aiton, you know, he's weird out there. Like, I don't know what's up with that. So, yeah, I'd go Grizz, Nugs, and I'm, I'm taking the Nuggets to the finals, man. Yeah, I mean, damn. All right, if I had to do the West Finals, Nuggets for sure. I still do like the Warriors just for some reason, just because yeah. like their starters are so good and Steph is so good that I just feel like they're going to figure it out, you know, with the surrounding cast. And like they just kind of have that, like we have to give them the benefit of the doubt just because they've done this before, you know. Um, and I think the, yeah, the Grizzlies would be another team I'd throw in there just because they're doing – the same thing, kind of like they don't have Jaron Jackson, who was a defensive player of the year candidate last year until he got hurt, and they're still solid. Jaw is sitting out games just for, like, load management, and they're still winning. Um, I think another team we do have to mention is the the Mavericks. And, like, I all right, I, I don't necessarily enjoy watching them play, even though 
Luca is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's ridiculous to watch. I just don't know. It's just it's all him, you know. Like he, yeah. I feel like that's not fun to play with necessarily if you're a role player on that team. And then it's like if you're in like a deep playoff battle, how do you how do you respond when you're a role player? And it's like Luca's taking forty shots this game, and it's like oh wait. I have to shoot it now. Like I haven't touched the ball in five minutes and like I have to take the biggest shot of the game. Damn. I'll go nuggets. I'll go nuggets warriors. I might just be, I might just have PTSD from like doubting the warriors. And then next thing you know, they win the finals like last year. But, but again, like, isn't that, that's kind of the point, right? Like the West is weird. The West is weirdly stacked. And I think the West playoffs is going to be insane because I mean, let's be honest, like Kawhi could come back. If we had betting odds, I would probably put the Clippers. I'd do like Clippers Suns, you know, just a repeat of two years ago, just because those teams have been there. They have the same teams, just more experience. And like, it's all so random too. So like, if I got good odds on it, I would do Clippers Suns. But if I'm playing it safe, let me do Nuggets Warriors. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors are interesting, man. It's like the, the starting lineup is arguably the best one in the league. They have like a 24 net rating on like a super like a high sample size relative to how far away into the season. Right. But as soon as their bench comes in, it just drops off a cliff. Um, and I think there are certain combinations and players that just can't be played together in that system. Right. Um, like Poole is a good player offensively, but he's, I think, a huge minus defensively. Like, I don't know if you watched into that Warriors-Kings game, but there's one matchup where Fox had him isolated. He just blew right by him, dude. He just laid it in. Like, no resistance at all. So you have that going for you. And a lot of their young guys, I just don't think they're ready to – they're mature enough to play in a system like that. Like, uh, Wiseman hasn't even been playing. He's been benched. He's got benched, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Moody's injured, but – he hasn't been playing like that either. Kaminga, only a few minutes. And they randomly started playing this dude, Anthony Lamb. He looks good out there. I'm like, I, he, he he was drafted or undrafted like a year or two. He was on, on the Rockets last year, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's just an IQ thing, though. Like, he knows how to play within the system. And it shows. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you watch some of the clips of Wiseman and Kaminga, like, they just they look kind of lost out there, to be honest with you. Like, all the actions are so intricate. If you just watch – just watch everyone just watch Steph or Clay or Poole next time you watch the Warriors and just look at how many screens and like switches they run off of just to get an open shot. Like I could not mm-hmm. imagine having to be a screener in that offense, dude. I'd be so lost. So that's that's why I kind of still have like I'm still holding out hope for them just because they have they have a longer leash than these other teams. Like we mentioned, like the you know, the Timberwolves or some of these teams that traded for stars. Cause like the Warriors they have the credibility, right? Like they've already won what three rings in the past, however many years, like they're not under that same amount of pressure. And I feel like Steph is the best leader to have in the league right now, as far as a team like that, right. Where like, if you're a young guy, like obviously you're in awe of Steph, but you're not like, he's not going to be an asshole to you, right. He's not going to like cuss you out necessarily. He's not, you know, he's not going to pull a Draymond and just fucking, beat your ass in practice for no reason like so i still have hope for them and they're just dude honestly here let me just go on the, the steph the steph numbers for this year i was just so, about to say dude they're ridiculous man yeah no go yeah yeah you want to read them off read them off they're they're insane i mean yeah 35 minutes a game he's averaging just under 33 points shooting over 50 percent from the field almost 53 percent. think about how many jump shots he shoots shooting 43% from three on almost 12 attempts. That's so crazy. That's five makes a game. 
a game. And then he's shooting 92% from the free throw line on six attempts, seven rebounds, six and a half assists, you know, under three turnovers. He's 50, 40, 90, man. Age 34, about to be 35. Playing 35 minutes a game is dominated, man. He's dominated. <laughs> Bro, he's he's unreal. Like, that's why their record, you cannot hold it against him at all. Like, you read off the stats. Those are insane. And if those held up for the year, they would be his career high in points per game and rebounds per game. And then just going through, like, the, uh, you know, the games that he's played in this year, he doesn't have a single game this year that he's made fewer than three threes. Jeez. what he has like a, some like ridiculous streak of i think a consecutive at least one consecutive made three-pointer like over 200 games that's insane and then like the, we're out here talking about like yeah ben simmons if he could just shoot one three a game like that'd be cool and steph's out here making five on average that's yeah. why i think i'm hitching my wagon to that like them and the nuggets i think um i feel like those are uh, those are kind of like safe almost safe bets you know even though the Warriors aren't great right now. But again, like you said, they're three games under. All right. We got cut off because of Zoom. I mean, we need Zoom to just sponsor us and just give us a free premium account already. That's all it takes. <laughs> Basically, we were just saying how how awesome Steph Curry has been this season. Um, all right. And then so we'll just get a proper sign off here. Before our next episode, what what do you do if you have like a prediction or just something that you're looking forward to, you know? As we get into like the real kind of meat of the season where like teams are dealing with injuries, I feel like we'll start to get some like trade buzz, you know, disgruntled superstars, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, over these next few weeks here, um, I think I'm really looking to see um, a few like key teams make make things kind of turn around for their season. So I'm looking at the Nets. I'm curious, you know, when Kyrie comes back, you know, does that slow down their momentum or, you know, is Jacques Vaughn uh, the true you know change in that locker room? And then separately, it's like, what happens with Ben Simmons, right? We, we, you know, managed to not talk about him that much, which is good. But the dude, like, clearly, you know, looks like he has some kind of, I don't know if it's injury issues with his knee or if he's just, like, lost his confidence. But I think it's no coincidence that you have these three polarizing figures gone and now they're winning games. So they're already, you know, climbed to the 12th seed. And like we said, the East is so tight that I think they'll climb their way into the playoff fixture over the next couple of weeks. Um, it'll be interesting to see the Heat. I think the Heat are at an interesting point right now in their, you know, season as well. Um, Jimmy Butler is in his prime, the tail end of his prime, you'd argue. Lowry is past his prime. So their window is, you know, closing, I'd say, to be honest with you. So one of two things needs to happen. Either Bam needs to step up and be the superstar that we all think he can be, or they got to make a trade. So I'll be interested to see, do we see some shift in play from Bam or a certain guys step up like, Duncan Robinson, like what happened to him? Max Struess seems like he's replaced him. You know, his hero worth the bag. Um, they got to do something though. So they're they're another team I'm keeping my eye on over these next few weeks. Um, then these teams that we said have these crazy starts, like the you know Wizards are doing well. Ironically, without Beal, they started to play better. Um, Pacers are doing well. Will they fall? So I'm kind of looking to see how do these standings reshuffle to more resemble what they're going to look like at the end of the season. Then talk, you know, talking about the West, we already mentioned it before, but I think the Blazers and the Jazz will come down to earth a little bit more. And I'm curious to see in a similar way, will the Warriors be able to climb their way back up the standings? You know, what about the T-Wolves? What are they all about? I think they're one or two adjustments away from potentially figuring things out. Like they're not that far off. Um, I know a lot of people raising the red flag, but, 
all things considered, I think you make a few changes, they can easily turn their season around. So um, one last bold prediction, the way the Kings are playing, I think they'll be a top five seed. Top five? Yeah. That's bold. Okay. Top five. Okay, so they're they're nine the ninth seed right now, but I mean, again, two games out of out of the fifth seed. Mm, okay. Three game winning streak. Fox looks like a superstar. Sabonis has been putting up his usual ridiculous numbers. Okay. Man, I like that predict. That's bold. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I can't go all in on the Kings is just because there's been too many times where like I've you know opened the ESPN app and looked at their score and it's like they gave up 72 points in the first half. Like, ah, <laughs> that's not going to work. But, I mean, if you can outscore everyone else, then it's possible. And Mike Brown is, you know, he's been around. Just go and watch a few games, and you'll you'll become a believer real quick. I promise you. They have a good team, really good team. Now that now that Kevin Herter is is wearing the, uh, the headband, I feel like I have to buy in. I might go as him for Halloween next year. Yeah, kind of what I was looking for um, – you know, this next couple of weeks is just kind of that that like middle tier of what the West standings are right now. So you mentioned a few of the teams, but like specifically, so the Pelicans and Clippers are the seven and eight seed. And then the T-Wolves and Warriors are outside the playoff picture looking in. So I feel like I'm I'm really curious to see what those teams do these next couple of weeks, just because, you know, all those teams have, again, like a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations and this is kind of where, like, this point in the season, even though it's nowhere near the start of the playoffs, it's this is kind of where teams, you see what they're made of, right? You see if they kind of crumble under, like, all the the media scrutiny or if they kind of just grind out wins and just slowly but steadily move up the standings. I feel like it's been a, it's been an awesome NBA season so far, even though it, it's, what, it's only, how far, how far in are we? Like, 13% or something? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it seemed like... Um... It seemed like a lot. Like, I've been obviously tracking the Bulls the most, and we played a lot of games, like, quick out the gate. Like, I think we had, like, three games in four nights, like, a few back-to-backs. So, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting season, man. It's a long one. Uh, All it takes is for, you know, one hot streak or one player to be out for some time, and, like, the entire season could get flipped up upside down. Um, You know, I will say Bulls still don't have our point guard. Um, We had some injuries here and there, so – don't judge us just yet, but um, yeah, it's been a tough start for the Bulls. So I'm um, I'm still hopeful. You know, I think again, just overall, this season has been good because going into any game, you genuinely it's harder to predict who's going to win. Um, like more so than ever, you know, from what I remember, at least since being being a fan. Like some of these games are just complete toss ups. Yeah, I'm glad I don't gamble on basketball because this would be the year where I just you never know. Like any team could beat any other team at at any point. But yeah, so we had to, I apologize, we had to kind of take today off or this episode off from Bulls talk, but we still got some in there. You know, we got to throw back Thursday, Laurie Markin in, got a little uh, Patrick Williams talk in there. Like we'll, we'll hit the Bulls next week for sure, just because you guys are, you know, you guys are right there. I feel like kind of where people expected, right? Like sitting one, what, half a game outside of the play-in, but also one game outside the 60. So I think the Bulls are another team to watch for the, these next week or so coming up and then we'll be able to really go in on them yeah we only, we only play a few games this week so probably won't be too many things to be revealed but um yeah i'm, I'm obviously hoping we, get, we can turn things around so <laughs> sounds good all right we'll wrap it up there and then check back in next week 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ball Till You Fall podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please like, rate, subscribe, follow, download, all the above. Uh, we're Honestly, we're going to keep releasing episodes even if you guys don't do any of the above, but it'll just make us feel better about ourselves if we see that people are listening and you know downloading and basically just enjoying the episodes. So be a nice person today. Uh, please spread the word. Uh, the world needs more nice people out there. So just search Ball Till You Fall podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or basically just anywhere that you listen to podcasts out there. Again, we really appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next episode.